today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Prayerlessness at its root is the result of failing to grasp how much God loves you, how tender He is towards you, and how much He wants to hear from you. Many of you think prayer is the way to get close to God. No, prayer is the result of knowing how close God has made Himself to you. Welcome to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Today on the program, Pastor J.D. highlights the most undervalued resource of the church. It's prayer. Would you agree? Discarded by many and not tried by more, prayer is actually the vehicle through which the blessings of God are released and the promises of God are enacted. In Daniel chapter 9, we not only see five principles that make for effective prayer— We also get a -a one-of-a-kind glimpse into what happens in heaven as we pray. That sounds exciting, yeah? So let's join Pastor J.D. right now with a message he creatively titled, Prayer and a Forgotten Pair of Air Jordans. Hope that you have your Bible or turn it on and scroll down to Daniel 9 if that's where you are. I want to talk with you today about what I believe is the most undervalued resource in the church. Larry Awe, who was a maintenance worker at Milwaukee's Capitol Court Mall, was cleaning up a storage facility in that mall right before the mall was set to be demolished when Larry found in a trash pile um, a pair of sneakers that were buried underneath some old boxes. They were obviously used. They showed obvious signs of wear. But as Larry looked more closely at them, he recognized on the side Michael Jordan's signature on the side of one of the size 13 shoes with the inscription below it written in hand, my very best. It turns out they were authentic. They were a pair of the original Air Jordans, Air Jordan 1s that Michael Jordan himself had worn for a while. Nike had then loaned them to this store in Milwaukee to display in the store window as a way of attracting people in uh, to, uh, to buy. Air Jordans. I guess everybody eventually forgot about them. And so for 20 years, they've been sitting in a storage closet and now they were discarded on a trash heap ready to be thrown away. They were valued at over $20,000. Prayer. Prayer is the most undervalued resource of the church. It is neglected by many. It is completely discarded by a lot of others. Scripture tells us, however, that many, I might even say most of the blessings that God wants to give us are activated in our lives through prayer. You find a promise and then you pray it into existence in your life. It is always true as a promise, but it's not true for you until you embrace it. So I've heard it said that rather than just read your way through the Bible in the course of a year, you should pray your way through the Bible because the Bible is a book of promises. It contains more than 3,000 of them, if you're counting, many of them sitting dormant until we claim them personally by prayer, until we appropriate them. So my question as we begin is, how many blessings are there for your life or for your family that remain simply unactivated because you've never asked for them in prayer. You know, it seems that whenever I hear older saints, older Christians talking about what they would do differently in life if they could go backwards, these are people whose lives you would already want to emulate. Most of them say, looking back, that if the one thing they could do more of or differently is they would pray more. Billy Graham, for example, um, he said, and, and I quote, prayer 
is the most important thing that we could ever do. And if I could do my ministry over again, I would pray more than I preached. Y'all, isn't it significant that the most successful preacher of, I would say, Christian history in, in terms of just number of people that heard him and responded to him, the most significant and successful preacher of Christian history at the end of his remarkable life is convinced that prayer is the place where real power resides. All that to say, it is not surprising to me that at the end of Daniel's book, Daniel circles around one more time back to the power of prayer. This has been a running theme of his life. We've seen it already in the book of Daniel. And so in the midst of all these final prophecies, which we're going to finish up next time, Daniel gives us four action steps that we should build our prayer lives around. Let me just warn you, this passage is amazing. I mean, it is a one-of-a-kind passage because it pulls back the curtains and shows us the inner workings of prayer. You better buckle up, especially if you're not, you're new to church and not familiar with the Bible. This passage is just, I mean, you're about to jump into the deep end of the pool, okay? Chapter 9, verse 1, Daniel says, in the first year of King Darius, about 538 BC, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Okay, get this. Daniel's reading the Bible, and he comes to the book of Jeremiah, which was written right before him. And Jeremiah had said that the number of years that God would send Israel into captivity for sin was going to be 70. Well, Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity around 605 B.C., the first year of King Darius that he refers to was 538 BC. And so if you do the math real quick in your head, that means that he's been there for around 70 years. So Daniel is like, hey, God, a promise. In fact, God, you said in Jeremiah that 70 years of desolation were appointed for Israel. Only 70. So I'm here to ask you to take us home like you promised. I'm asking you to make good on your word. Verse three, so I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions and with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed, ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. God, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We've acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our leaders and our ancestors and all the people of the land. Now, really quickly, because this is not the main point for today, but I want you to notice something about Daniel as a leader because it shapes the attitude he brings into prayer. Daniel confesses all of those things. But let me ask you, having been now in Daniel for several weeks, based on what you know about Daniel's life, is that how you would describe Daniel's life? Verse five, again, look at it. I've sinned. We've done wrong. I've acted wickedly. I have rebelled. I have turned away from your commands and ordinances. I've not listened to your prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and leaders and ancestors. Honestly, that seems a little bit out of sync from what we read about Daniel, especially since the prophet Ezekiel describes Daniel as one of the three most righteous people ever to live. Furthermore, in verse six, Daniel confesses the sin of his ancestors, which clearly he could not have been guilty of since he was not even born yet. Now, let me be clear. On one level, we cannot inherit guilt from our ancestors. The prophet Ezekiel makes that clear that the sons will not be held guilty of the sins of the fathers. But here's the thing. Listen, a leader makes a problem their responsibility even when it's not their fault. Now, let me say that again. A leader makes a problem their responsibility, 
even when it's not their fault. My kids' mistakes may not be my fault, but as their leader, I take responsibility to help them correct them. Men, do you sit around blaming your wife for all your marital issues? Y'all listen, I'm sure some of y'all's issues are her fault. I mean, she's a sinner too, after all. But a real leader does not deflect blame. He or she takes responsibility. Isn't that what Jesus did? Our sin was clearly not his fault, but he took responsibility and he entered our world to fix it. That's what Daniel's doing. That's what leaders always do. Listen, this church has got problems and some of those problems may not be your fault, but only a Pharisee sits around and talks about how bad everybody is. Well, those people do this and and they are like that. A leader owns the problem even if it's not their fault and brings the problem personally to God with we language, not they language. The same thing is true with how we see our community and how we see our nation. We got enough self-righteous Pharisees talking about the problems with those people, and we need to have a lot of leaders talking about the problems with us people, all right? All right, back to Daniel's prayer, verse 7. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, and this day public shame belongs to us. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. And so just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we still have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth, which, again, was probably more true of the rest of Israel than it was of Daniel. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand, made your name renowned as it is this day, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, again, because you promised that would happen. Verse 17, therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine upon your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake, for your sake. By the way, that's a direct quote from number six. Daniel is praying God's promises back to him in his own words. Do it for your sake, God. Verse 18, listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. In other words, God, your reputation's at stake. You said, God, that, 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 that when your children called on you, that you would hear them and you would forgive them and you would come to their help. And God, that's me right now. I'm doing it like you said I should do. And I'm asking you to do what you said you would do when I did what I was supposed to do. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. By the way, that's one of the most important things you could ever learn about prayer. I'm going to come back to that. 19, verse 19, Lord, hear Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. By the way, that's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 30, where God promised to respond to his people if, in the midst of judgment, they prayed to him for help and forgiveness. Again, Daniel was taking these words from God and praying them back to God. My God, for your own sake, because now this is about your reputation, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Verse 20, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in my first vision, he reached me in my extreme weariness and he gave me this explanation. Daniel, at the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out and I have come to give that answer. When Daniel began his prayer, God issued an answer and Gabriel was sent to deliver it. While Daniel was praying, Gabriel was flying, and he showed up right as Daniel finished up. Y'all, I have so many questions. How fast does an angel fly? Why didn't God just beam him straight there? 
right? I mean, what kind of equipment do they use to fly? Do they fly on their own? But sadly, we're not given any of those answers. So let's instead focus on what we do know. Notice how Gabriel starts the answer from God. Daniel, you are greatly loved by God. Some translations say treasured by God. Now, how amazing is that? First, think about Daniel's life. He has been kidnapped, enslaved, castrated. He's lived under oppression. He's been betrayed by his co-workers. He has lived under constant danger. He has survived several regime changes. How many of you looking at his life would say, that's a man who's been loved by God? Yet that is exactly how Gabriel started this. You are greatly loved. Do you understand that God's love for you is not measured by your life's ease? Daniel's life was by no stretch easy, yet he was greatly loved and treasured by God because what God gave to Daniel is greater than earthly ease. You see, just because you go through hard times does not mean that God has abandoned you or forgotten you. In fact, God might allow you to go through those things so that he can teach you about the things that are truly valuable. Some of you come in here interpreting God's love for you based on your circumstances. I would tell you the cross and resurrection of Jesus is a better basis for how you understand God's thoughts about you. So don't think God has abandoned you. If you were to look at Daniel, you'd say, well, I think God might have abandoned you. But Gabriel says, you're loved by God. And before I jump into Daniel's four prayer principles, I want you to understand, this is very important, that this confidence, this confidence that he was greatly loved, that he was treasured by God, that confidence was the secret to Daniel's consistency in prayer. You see, sometimes we think our failure to pray is a failure of self-discipline. And that today what you're going to do is you're going to learn four magical principles and you're going to go home and master them like some action list. But prayerlessness at its root is the result of failing to grasp how much God loves you, how tender he is towards you, and how much he wants to hear from you. Many of you think prayer is the way to get close to God. No, prayer is the result of knowing how close God has made himself to you. Jen Wilkin, one of our favorite Bible teachers around here, explained that for her, learning to pray was a little bit like her losing her desire to eat Cheetos. Cheetos, she says, has always been her favorite snack. As a young woman, she said, I would eat them nonstop um, every day until, until, in her words, they got sharp and started cutting into my tongue. But that was okay with me, she said, a small sacrifice for a great reward. She said, then one day I made the mistake of looking at the Cheetos label. She said, two problems. She said, one, I literally could not even pronounce one of the chemicals that went into my favorite food. Second, she said, I realized that my Cheetos were missing, well, cheese. She said, and that knowledge created a change in me. Prior to this revelation, it would have taken, she says, a Navy SEAL to quell my yearning for Cheetos. But after I understood what Cheetos actually were or weren't, my heart stopped craving them as much. A change in belief is what changed the desire. In the same way, she said, when we learn the truth about God, when we believe that God listens to us, that he loves us and desires to work through our prayers, we instinctively begin to do what all the self-discipline in the world hadn't been able to coerce us to do. We pray. When we know we are greatly loved, when we know we are treasured by God, we will pray when we're happy, we will pray when we're anxious, we will pray when we see God at work, and we will pray when we don't see God at work. See, I want, I mean, this is very important. As we work through this message, the point is not pray more. 
or pray like Daniel or do these four things and you're going to be fine. The point of this is that, is that if you understand that you're greatly loved like Daniel was and you learn to trust him like Daniel trusted him, then you'll pray naturally and instinctively like Daniel did. So before we go any farther, I just need your promise that you're going to interpret these four prayer principles, not as a to-do list of getting close to God, but as the reflection of somebody who understands how close God has made himself to you. Deal? Okay, deal. Here we go. Number one, Daniel's four prayer principles. Number one, root your prayers in God's promises. Daniel would say first and foremost, most importantly, root your prayers in God's promises. Like I noted, Daniel's prayer was inspired by discovering a promise of God in Jeremiah and some other promises that were embedded in Deuteronomy and the book of Numbers. And Daniel was praying these promises of God back to God. I love Martin Luther, the great reformer. I love his definition of powerful prayer. Ready? Here it is. He explained it to his barber. He wrote a famous book to his barber on prayer, puts all the cookies on the bottom shelf. This is one of them. Power in prayer, he said, is simply catching God in his words. You want power in prayer? You're just catching God in his words. Parents, your kids do this with you? My kids do this with me all the time. My 11-year-old son, Adam, never lets me forget a promise, no matter when or how offhandedly it was made. Shoot, it doesn't even need to be a promise. Just a casual implication. We drove by Frankie's Fun Park um, a couple months ago, and he said, Dad, we should go back there sometime. And apparently, I don't even remember, but apparently I said, sure, son, we'll do that one day. Now, you parents know exactly what that means. That doesn't mean anything. It means I don't really want to talk about that right now. I promise you, that kid brings that up every week on the week. And I feel like I got to do it now because I don't want him to lose confidence in me. Veronica, my wife, has been redecorating our girls' room, or one of our girls' rooms, and, and he said, hey, mom, are you ever going to redecorate my room? And she said, again, like, I'm sure we'll do that sometime. Now, it's like every time we go in there to tuck him in for the night, he says, hey, have you ordered that, that new furniture yet that you promised to me? Now, of course, we parents sometimes, right, all parents make casual statements they don't really mean. But the point is, God never does. He means everything he's ever said, and he wants us to find every promise that he's ever made and claim it for our own. This book is your book. It is a book of promises given to you. You have to read it, and you have to find them, and you have to pray them into existence in your life. Notice specifically how Daniel ties God's own glory to his faithfulness to his promises. He was like, God, you're the one. You're the one who said this. You said you would be merciful to us when we prayed and restore us when we called. So now it's your reputation that's on the line. So here's my question. What has God said to you that you can pray back to him and put his reputation on the line? I'll give you just a few um, as an example that I'm praying right now in my own life. Um, Here's one. Jesus said, I'm praying this for this church. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So go and make disciples of all the nations. Psalm 2.8, he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. So when I pray for this church, I'm like, God, this is, this is what you said. So I'm here asking and all the craziness that has gone on with COVID and lockdown and all the confusion and we're trying to figure out what in the world is next. I'm asking you to build your church like you promised you would. You promised that you would make your name known in our generation if we ask. So I'm here asking you to do what you said you would do. Your reputation's on the line. God, make your name known in this generation as we think about the triangle and the nations. God, do it now because you said you wanted to do it. Here's another one um, uh, that I read in the Summit Bible reading plan recently, and I wrote it down. Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. 
The generation of the upright will be blessed. And then Psalm 11, verse, uh, verse 21, um, the children of the righteous will be delivered. And I'm like, Lord, I, I want you to do this with my kids. I need you to make them, I want you to make them mighty in the word in the land. Let your faithfulness extend to them as my children. I pray that they would be delivered. And God, do this with all the kids in our church. May this generation who is delighting and feared in your word, God save our kids. Now, these are a couple very personal promises to me right now that I'm praying. And some of you, you're looking at me going, well, those don't exactly apply to my situation and where I'm at right now. I want to say this as nicely to you as possible, but read the Bible for yourself. I cannot mine all of these promises for you. I love teaching you the Bible every weekend, but I cannot spoon feed all this to you. This book is here for you. And you've got to search it like for a pair of $20,000 Air Jordans in your closet. There are promises about forgiveness and restoration after sin, about joy and suffering, putting purpose in your life, having healed um, bodies and godly marriages and parenting and provision in time of need. Read it for yourself. I can't do it all. I can just guide you to it. That's it, okay? Let me give you another great definition of prayer while we're talking about this. Effective prayer perceives the gap between where something is, where God wants it to be. Effective prayer perceives the gap between where something is and where God wants it to be. And where do you learn how God wants something to be? The Bible. Again, the Bible is a book of promises. It's our job to find them and claim them. In the model prayer that people often sometimes refer to as the Lord's Prayer. The second phrase Jesus taught us to say, right, as we pray, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. I want to know what heaven wants here because I know it's going to be good. And when I pray, God, let your will be done in heaven here, I know that it's going to get the power of heaven behind it. So I pray, for example, let it be in the summit church like it's desired in heaven. Let it be in the Greer family as you want it in heaven. Let it be in my marriage as it is in heaven. Now, of course, that's got to be said with humility because we don't always know exactly what the full will of God is. But see, his word tells us a lot of it. Effective prayer perceives the gap between where something is and what God says he wants it to be. What this means practically is that the quality of your prayer life will be directly related to the quality of your knowledge of the Bible. Because the prayers that start in heaven are the ones that are heard by heaven. Listening to a sermon on prayer can be so helpful. Reading about it is great, but it's nothing until we actually do it. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. You're listening to Summit Life with J.D. Greer. You're joining us today in a teaching series through the book of Daniel called Shining in Babylon, and we're learning how to shine, how to thrive in, yes, a very dark and hostile world. So, Pastor J.D., our new Bible study resource working through the book of Daniel follows the HEAR method of studying the Bible. Can you explain that in a little bit more detail, and what is that exactly? So, we believe the Bible is God's actual words, which means we want to read them, we want to know everything that's in them, and the HEAR method is is basically an instinct you want to develop that will teach you the principles of inductive Bible study, Mm -hmm. because it's showing you how to observe things how to press into them and how to apply them to your life and then and then what to do about it. Here stands for highlight. You just highlight the things that stand out to you. E is examine. You're pressing in with the help of 
um, tools like the one we're going to give you to study through the book of Daniel or a study Bible, then you're going to apply, bridge the context to, to, to your life and then respond in prayer and obedience. So we're going to give you, we want to give you a new Bible study that helps work through the book of Daniel along with these messages. So go to jdgreer.com right now to help participate in this ministry. We would love to put one of these in your hands just as our way of saying thank you in a way that will help you read and study the Bible better. Ask for the book of Daniel, Shining in Babylon, nine-part inductive Bible study when you give a suggested donation of $35 or more today by calling 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or go online and request your copy at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich inviting you to join us again Thursday. We won't ever have all the details of how prayer works, But as we continue through the book of Daniel, Pastor J.D. will give us a behind-the-scenes look at how prayer works and demonstrate why prayer is so important. Join us Thursday on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.